This episode of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex podcast, is brought to you by Dwayne the Canoe Guy Hendrickson of the Matching Dragoons website, which you may find at jonahhex.blogspot.com. Matching Dragoons, blogging each and every appearance of Jonah Hex, also featuring a Hex body count and injury list, in-depth Hex analysis, Pitchman a go-go, Salesman of Yesteryear, House Ads, and whatever else happens to fall on Dwayne's scanner. Drop in, read for a spell, and leave a comment or two at jonahhex.blogspot.com. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Western State Prison, August, 1867. Armed guards stand watch over hardened men breaking up rocks with pickaxes. One shirtless prisoner calls for water, and a scraggly-faced young man by the name of Teddy answers, bringing a canteen and filling up his cup. But, Teddy warns, only pretend to drink it. Soon, one of the guards collapses, citing a stomachache and dizziness and Teddy springs into action, seizing the man's rifle and picking up another guard with it while he makes good his escape using his fellow fleeing prisoners as cover. Soon Teddy makes it to a clearing where his ally, a colored man by the name of Orion, is waiting for him with a couple of horses. Orion is dismayed to hear that Teddy lied to him and that the poison he had smuggled into the prison because Teddy claimed to have a rat problem was instead used on men. And Teddy says, My apologies, Orion, for failing to mention it was two-legged rats I was referring to. Teddy and Orion ride all night and into the following day, with the escaped con poisoning every waterhole they come across to discourage pursuers. Teddy is quite proud of his handiwork and is boasting about it when Orion spies something on a nearby ridge, a terrible sight, staring down at them. Up on that slope, I staring down at us. He wasn't there a minute ago. Where, where do you suppose he come from, Mr. Chandler? Yes, where indeed. Was there a man in the West who could say for sure? When the smoke of battle had cleared at Gettysburg, Vicksburg, Chattanooga, Chickamauga, Manassas, and Chancellorsville, was this the warrior who still stood alive and unscathed? Or was this merciless, gun-swift, paid killer of killers an immortal apparition? This man named... Jonah Hex, in Demon on My Trail. The men watch as Hex rides down into the valley, and Teddy draws a bead on the bounty hunter with his rifle. But suddenly, as the caption box says, 
with the speed of an erupting volcano, Hex draws and fires, winging the escapee. Hex dismounts and saunters over to the two men. Orion's tending to Teddy when Hex walks up and says, Your skunk friend ain't dead. If I were of a mind to kill him, I would have made his head my target. <laughs> you a lawman, mister? Nope. But your varmint friend is a wearing a prisoner uniform, and there's a reward for returning strays to their fold. If that's all you're interested in, I got some money. Nearly $20, and Mr. Chandler, well, he got a lot of bad in him. But once, he was an honest God-fearing. Then buy him a copy of the good book with that money and have him read it again. Now mount up. Orion obeys, slinging the unconscious Teddy across one of the horses, and the men ride off with Hex leading the way. Say, now I recognize you, mister. You're Jonah Hex, the killingest man that ever was. Folks say you've got a real appetite for killing, but that you're ridden the West of men who's better dead than alive, and that's wrong. Only the Almighty God has the right to- Something's burning up ahead. Hex and company come across a wagon in flames, the scene of a brutal massacre. Hex dismounts and investigates, finding bodies. <laughs> man and a woman. Comanches gave them both one of their no-charge haircuts. Hex looks into the wagon and, under a blanket, finds a small blonde-haired boy, a young cub. His folks must have hit him under this blanket when they saw the attack coming. Psst, Orion. Mr. Chandler, thank the Lord you're over by that wheel, Orion. A gun. Fetch it for me quick. And so seconds later, with the child in his arms, Hex returns to the horses only to find himself at gunpoint. Well now, it seems you made a costly error, my monster face friend. You put that little weasel you're holding there ahead of your professional caution. And now I'm going to put a third eye in your head, mister. First I'll remove your hat, then... Teddy actually shoots Hex's hat off his head. Absolutely incredible. Look how this wild man faces death, Orion. Not a single muscle twitching or one bead of sweat on his forehead. A man totally unafraid of dying. Mr. Chandler, your gunfire is going to draw Comanches for sure. Great Scott, you're right. Get his guns, horse, and canteen. You're a fortunate man, Mr. Hex. Very fortunate. But I'm sure Hex isn't feeling terribly fortunate, though, when Teddy clocks him in the head with the butt of his pistol. Orion expresses his concern to Teddy that the child looks like he's feverish, but Teddy just laughs and says that if Hex needs to give the child water, that there's plenty of watering holes uh, out there on the plains. They're all slightly poisoned, of course. And as the men ride off, Orion makes eye contact with Hex and surreptitiously drops his canteen for the bounty hunter and his tiny charge. The following morning, many miles further along the plains, Orion is literally using the shirt off his own back to bandage his friend's wounds. He tells Teddy that he really needs to get him to a doctor and Teddy agrees, stating that they should have plenty of water to last them until then. Hesitatingly, Orion tells his friend that there isn't quite as much water left as he might think since he quote-unquote lost his canteen. That's most unfortunate, Teddy says, and figuring that there's just enough of a supply left to see one man through, shoots faithful Orion in the chest at point-blank range. Meanwhile. Hex startles awake and demands to know where he is. A beautiful blonde woman informs him that he's been asleep for over a day since arriving at her farm half-dead and carrying that boy. Hex inquires after the little guy, who stands nearby, hale and hearty, and the woman says the boy is fine because he wasn't all dried out like Hex was and she scolds him for not having taken one drink out of that canteen. 
Sometime later out in the yard, Hex is dressed and preparing to ride out when the little boy walks up and asks him, Mr. Hex, what made your face like that? Were you kicked by a mule? Yup, and then I shot it, just like I shoot young cubs that chatter too much. Now get. The blonde woman's father either gives, lends, or sells a horse to Hex, it's never clear which, although the farmer does mention that Hex bought guns from him, so presumably he bought the horse too, and thanks Hex for giving them the boy. I guess that means they're keeping the kid, because his daughter uh, has been lonesome. Hex says nothing and rides off, leaving the farmer's daughter wistfully gazing after him and commenting on how kind and gentle he was. Picking up the trail of the escaped prisoner, Hex soon comes across a disturbing sight, Orion, left to die in the blazing desert. Hex does his best to tend to the man and asks Orion why Teddy would do this to him. Orion says it's because of Teddy's fear of imprisonment. Apparently, Ryan was once sentenced to death by hanging, but Teddy, for whatever reasons, set him free. Only he killed a sheriff in the process, making himself the outlaw that he now is. Hex is outraged that Orion would continue to defend Teddy, raging about what kind of man would almost let a little boy die or desert his loyal friend to die alone in the middle of the desert. But Hex soon realizes that his words are falling on deaf ears because Orion has died. Soon, Hex is back at it and thinking to himself that Teddy also stole his horse and guns and that alone would be reason enough for Hex to track him down. After six days of relentless pursuit, Hex is approaching a valley when he rides right into Teddy's sights. The shot hits the ground near Hex, spooking his horse and throwing Jonah off where he scrambles for cover. You dumb cuss! You could've easily blown my head off if you'd have waited for me to get a little closer. But you got anxious, didn't you? After exchanging gunfire, Hex shoots Teddy through the left shoulder and the fugitive flees. Hex swears and says, This blasted cold is a mite off. That shot should have cut through your heart dead center. Teddy is terrified of Hex and attempts to lose the bounty hunter under the cover of night. And as darkness does fall, Teddy makes a last desperate flight into the desert. But the following morning, several miles away, Hex comes across Teddy, crawling on hands and knees away from a waterhole. Morning, skunk. You get tired of running? No. I came thirsty, Hex. Then I found that one of your bullets punctured a hole in my canteen. And a few minutes ago, I found this water hole and took a drink. Only I forgot, Hex. Forgot what, you laughing hyena? That after I escaped from prison, this was one of the water holes I poisoned. <laughs> And as Hex drags Teddy's corpse over to the horses, he concludes this little tale with the observation, Well, at least the skunk had one quality. A good sense of humor. I like this story. It's short and sweet. It's only 12 pages. It is a short, sweet little tale. I enjoy it very, very much. It definitely owes back to the uh, the title of the magazine, which is Weird Western Tales, because it is a weird little tale. And again, this is uh, this is the early days of Hex, and I think the, the line in here about Hex possibly being an immortal apparition, this is still in that gray period where Hex may or may not have some sort of supernatural powers. And, uh, and I really like that, at least in this particular story. I, I do like Hex... Personally, I like Hex better 
later when he's a little more fleshed out. And we're going to be seeing that coming along very soon where Hex is going to start getting a definitive backstory. And we're going to come to learn fairly definitively that Hex is just a man, that there aren't supernatural forces at play here. But to a degree, at least in this story anyway, I kind of like the the super the possible supernatural element. You know, there's with uh, with Hex and then with a character like say uh, El Diablo, who by the way has a backup feature uh, in this one. So Hex uh, isn't the solo feature in the magazine again like he was uh, last month. You know, uh, El Diablo definitely has a supernatural element working there. You know, where uh, Lazarus Lane has to go into, is it like a coma or a trance or something, in order for El Diablo to come out and exact vengeance, you know, like some sort of, you know, avenging ghost or avenging spirit or something. It's heavily implied in a lot of these early hex stories that, you know, there's some sort of uh, something supernatural at work here, especially with, with Hex's ability to track anybody anywhere. You know, this is, uh, you know, for several times now, we've definitely seen this where, you know, somebody's, you know, on the lamb and they, they think they finally lost Hex and they look up on a ridge or they round a corner or whatever and there he is, you know, and how could he possibly have, have tracked them and found them? So there were, there were definitely hints that something beyond just good tracking skills or something may have been going on. We're, we're eventually going to see that kind of fall by the wayside. And I'm not sad when it does, because I, I really like Hex as more just, you know, he's employing skills that he's learned over a lifetime kind of thing. So I was never really a fan of the supernatural thing. But for some odd reason, I, I do like the the hinting at in this in the beginning of this story. I like that there's a date given for this story, although August 1867, that means that Hex honestly hasn't been at this very long at this point, because the Civil War ended in 1865, although I believe, if I remember the story, and of course this we haven't gotten to this point in, in Hex's uh, story yet, but I think eventually we will learn that uh, I don't think Hex stayed right to the end of the war. I believe he, he actually... Uh, surrendered sometime beforehand. It was right around the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, I believe, when Hex realizes that the war is being elevated to another level, and he finds that he can no longer support the war from the Confederacy point of view, so he uh, he attempts to surrender. I say all that just to, to say that, uh, you know, Hex has not been at this terribly long, somewhere between two and four years, I guess. Something like that. Anyway, we're, we're going to see all that fleshed out pretty soon. Also, there is a, uh, a, once again, one of the little precursors to he was a hero to some, a villain to others. That still hasn't come along yet, but at the top of, of page one, the header here reads, The two had come together for one last time, a God-fearing black and a heathen desperado. Then fate would introduce a third man, a killer gunfighter named Jonah Hex violence and death would follow eventually that would be uh death and the acrid smell of gun smoke so we can see that you know it's it's developing that way to where eventually hex will get his own header you know like all the all the comic book characters had at one point you know superman batman spider-man avengers they all had the little thing at the top that would kind of 
brace the reader for what they were about to experience. You know, give a give a slight origin story of sorts or or an introduction for the character. Hex doesn't have one yet, but we can definitely see one developing here. You know, it does occur to me that we're now 16 minutes into this show, and I never really revealed what issue this is that uh, I was talking about. This, of course, is Weird Western Tales, number 19, had a 20-cent cover price on it. This is the uh, September-October 1973 issue of Weird Western Tales. Features a nice cover on it by Luis Dominguez, who, again, I'm not terribly familiar with, uh, with his art or what else he may have done beyond... Jonah Hex, but uh, this is an interesting one. It has a man drinking from a... He's drinking out of his hat, out of a watering hole, and he's kind of looking over his shoulder, and Hex is standing up on this ridge, looking very rigid. He looks very much like a, like he's undead, because his eyes are, are pupilless, and his face is half-eclipsed, so he looks kind of like a cross between uh, a confederate two-face or a confederate eclipso it's really weird looking and hex is holding in his hand a sign that says poison on it and the sun is blazing behind hex and all around on the rocks all around in the picture are these buzzards but they're all colored purple so it's kind of it's very bizarre most of the cover is uh is in oranges and and browns so it's it's an unusual cover but it's a good one i think it's an effective one um I like how Hex looks scary, you know. This with with this being one of those books under the the weird banner, it's supposed to be kind of edgy and spooky, creepy type of thing. And this cover definitely pulls that off really well. This is one of those covers where it doesn't necessarily scream western so much as it screams weird, supernaturally creepy strangeness. So, I like that. The title of the story, as I said in the synopsis, is uh, Demon on My Trail. The script on this one, again, was by uh, John Albano. And art was by Tony DiZaniga. And the editor was Joe Orlando. A couple other quick notes. Uh, page 7. Uh, the art in this issue, once again, is just phenomenal. It goes without saying. DiZaniga is just, it's just great on this title. But uh, of special note is panel 4 on page 7. We get this shot. And it's actually through Teddy's armpit as where we see Orion looking up at, or at Teddy. And we can see behind Teddy's back that he's drawing his pistol out of, uh, out of his gun belt. And in the very next panel, he shoots Orion point blank. Well, the look on Orion's face as he's looking up at Teddy... That's a total Jim Apero face right there. It's it's really remarkable. I mean, if, if somebody just were, were to pull this one panel out and ask, you know, who who drew this? You know, who's the artist on this? I would totally guess Apero. It's a total Jim Apero face. Um, but yeah, the art in this is is fantastic. There's some really really beautiful stuff in here. Hex still unfortunately has his uh, his black hat, but I I think that's just about ready to go away. Um, I forget exactly what issue he goes back to the Confederate hat, but I don't believe he's got the black hat for much longer. Um, I don't mind it too much in this. I actually I barely noticed it, but there, there's a couple panels where uh, <laughs> it, it just it kind of jumps out. Plus, it's not the it's it's actually a different black hat than the one he has been wearing because I, I don't see any panels here 
Oh, no, I take it back. In the panel where it's being shot off his head by Teddy, it has the zebra stripes, but there's a lot of other panels here where there's no stripe on it at all, so it almost looks like he's wearing a blue fedora sometimes. It looks just like a blue hat with a with a white band around it, but yeah, and that at least in that one panel it does have the zebra stripes. Eh, again, not crazy about the about the black hat. Page eight. I'm not sure if we've seen it before this issue, but we're definitely going to see it in the future, and to my recollection, quite a number of times in the future where Hex comes across some pretty young thing, usually living all by herself out in the middle of nowhere or something, and she just takes an instant shine to Jonah Hex. Now, that's, you know, I, I like that every once in a while, but it does get to be a little much because, you know, there, there's no denying, Hex is one ugly bastard. He's got this horrible scar. He's got that you know, that piece of skin that connects his uh, upper and lower lip. He's not a pretty man. So, yeah, what is with all these lonely, horny women out on the plains that just have a thing for Jonah Hex? <laughs> Plus, uh, with that said, you know, it, there's that possibility, too, that uh, there might be some, so, you know, more little Jonas out there, you know, in the in the Old West than... Uh, than it was ever revealed or have been revealed so far. Lastly in this story, I'd really like to know more about this backstory with Teddy and Orion. It's only really hinted at, but I want to know why did Teddy save Orion, you know, originally? You know, that the the thing, the incident that seems to have forged the friendship between these two characters or, you know, endeared Orion to uh to Teddy. Why? I mean, Teddy, from what we see in this story, is you know has very few redeeming qualities. He's he's pretty much just scum, and he ends up shooting Orion to save his own hide. But I'd like to know, you know, because the the story here's what it says here, um, in the panel where Orion is dying, he says that's what made Mr. Chandler Mr. Chandler evil, locking him up in prison, and it's it was my fault. They were going to hang me, and the night before they was going to hang me, Mr. Chandler set me free. Only he shot the sheriff in the process. And that's all he ever says about it. So it doesn't really give a reason. Why did Chandler do that? Did they know each other beforehand? Did he, could he just not stand to see this guy put to death? Was, was it a crime he was not guilty of? Were they just going to hang him because he was a black guy and it sounded like it was something fun to do? I mean... It, and Orion couldn't, or I mean, uh, Teddy couldn't stand by and see what, what's the story there. And sadly, we're, we're never going to get it. I feel like that would have fleshed the character out a little bit more. It, it may have added even a little more, uh, you know, there's plenty of tragedy with Orion's story, but it may have added a, an element of tragedy to Teddy's story because at the end of the day, when he's dead at the end of the story, you don't feel anything but, well, good. Yeah, you know, that the guy got what was coming to him. But as Orion says, you know, there there had to have been some good in him at one time for him to to do what he did to save Orion. It would have been nice to know what that was so that maybe we felt a little something for him at the end of the story. I don't know. That's pretty much all my thoughts on this particular issue. Now, you may have noticed that uh, 
I did something a little different this time around. I came right in and went right into the story. Well, there was a number of reasons for that. For one, I didn't really have any preamble at all. Also, you know, for all the clamor that there was for folks missing this show and demanding to know what was going on and wanting, you know, basically demanding the return of this podcast, I'm sad to report... I didn't get any email. I got no... I did get feedback. I was about to say I didn't get feedback. I did get plenty of feedback. I got lots of folks, um, you know, messaging me on, on Facebook and such, saying how happy they were that the show was back. But when it comes to feedback that I'm actually going to read on the show, that is strictly email, of which I didn't receive any. So I was kind of kind of sad about that. But hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> that said, now I'll probably get a ton, which is awesome, because I want feedback. Ads this time around, uh, there's a couple of interests. We got the classic uh, Charles Atlas ad, the insult that made a man out of Mac. I always like that. I always get a kick out of it. And this is the classic one that uh, that most of us remember. There were variations of this over the years, but this is the one that I always like best with the jerk kicking sand in Mac's face. And <laughs> Listen here. I'd smash your face, only you're, you're so skinny you might dry up and blow away. I love that. I always like that line. Um, let's see what other ads we have here. There was one for, uh, is this models? Yeah, they are realistic looking kits, it says. It's a prehistoric uh, ice age and such. You've got uh, dinosaurs and a woolly mammoth, and I think that's supposed to be a dodo bird or something. I don't know. It's cavemen, all kinds of weird stuff in that. It's Aurora model kits, but it's a cool-looking ad. I'm sick and tired of my job ad. Army men, sea monkeys, nice house ad for Plop magazine, and their prerequisite... Daisy BB gun ad. That's about it for this time around for ads. As I said before, Hex isn't alone. There was an El Diablo story in the back, and it's actually a pretty good El Diablo story, uh, illustrated by, by uh, Alfredo Alcala, who, uh, as I think I've said before, not a big fan of Alcala, but the art is actually really, really nice in this one. And it was a, it was a pretty good El Diablo story. The letters page... Uh, Nothing of, of great interest, although I did note that there was more absolutely insane criticism over Neil Adams' art, which uh, just makes me scratch my head. It's like, who doesn't love Neil Adams? But apparently some people just didn't have taste back in the day, I guess. I'm not, I don't know. The Jonah Hex portion of this story was reprinted in Showcase Presents Jonah Hex Volume 1 Trade Paperback. And that's pretty much it. That brings us to the death count. Jonah Hex killed exactly zero persons in this issue. Yes, I know it's hard to believe, but Hex never actually killed anybody in this issue. He did shoot Teddy a couple of times, never killed anybody. And so the death count overall tally so far remains at three off-panel kills 27 shot four outdrawn two allowed to die two blown up real good one stabbed one chased off a cliff and one kicked off a cliff that brings the total to 41 people 40 men and one woman killed by jonah hex so far next time weird western tales number 20 for the jonah hex podcast I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening.
Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, is produced in association with the Two True Freaks Podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com.